0: Welcome to the second season of the Gutsy Health Podcast with Shani Roney and Gina Warfel, where we share uncomplicated, practical, and affordable wellness education so you can be a self-healing champion. This episode is brought to you by the Gutsy Health Membership Program, a program that gives you inexpensive tools and resources to heal your mind, body, and soul. Visit our website at mygutsyhealth.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Gutsy Health Podcast. I have my phenomenal co-host with me, Gina Warfel. Gina, it's been a hot minute, but I'm happy to have you back. And you guys, we have the creator, the CEO, the founder of Ubli, which is a sweet protein. Now, this was the first time I've ever heard of sweet protein. I kid you not, you guys, I probably get an email a day from some doctor, some inventor, some scientists where they're like, we want this guest on your podcast. I'm so bored. I'm so bored of like the same things. over. Oh, I'll be completely honest. And then Kai, my podcasting producer, sent me their profile. And I was like, this is something I could talk about. This really piques my interest. Sweet proteins like absolutely and the reason why this was so exciting is because this could potentially transform the food industry because we have such an overabundance of sugar in our lives today. Type 2 diabetes, metabolic syndrome, this is rampant in our society and it's spreading across the globe. It's no longer just contained in the USA. It's going to other countries as well. When someone says they've come up with a solution that can really help keep the taste of food, but not affects your blood sugar. I want to talk about this. So we have the creator, the founder, the CEO, Jason Ryder, who is biochemical engineer. His undergrad in that and his PhD at Berkeley in biochemical engineering. He teaches... Is that correct, Jason? You teach there, biochemical engineering.
1: That's correct. One correction. So I'm, I'm the chief technology officer and co-founder at Ubli. And I'm here with my partner, Ali Wing, who's our CEO.
0: She's the master behind the business, the scaling, like all that. So she's the yin to your yang. You are the genius behind the science of food and the chemicals. And Ali is the genius behind the product, the company, scaling, all that. And so we have Jason Ryder and Ali Wang today to talk about their company, their product, sweet proteins, and how he really got this started. So you guys, welcome. Please tell us more about yourselves. Thank you. Thank you for that very nice
2: welcome. And, and I will say... You just entered it so well, we don't often get that opportunity for somebody who really says, this is this huge problem. I always tell people we have as just as climate positive problem as we do a health problem. But I always tell people, can we really solve climate change at the rate our population is unhealthy and the rate it's becoming unhealthy in the world? We have to tackle these massive issues. And Jason and I are very much here to bend the global health curve. And I came in to join him specifically because I think that Sweet proteins can be the game changing revolution that we need to redefine our definition of sweets from a sugar to a protein. And that is a pathway that we haven't seen before. And it's a pathway that's really overdue for the world. So I'm super excited about that. I'm going to hand you to my partner because you've got to know a little bit more
0: about Jason. So Jason, tell us about your genius. Tell us your path to getting here.
1: Absolutely. So really appreciate you having Ali and I on the podcast. I think we share all of the same passions that you outlined in the intro and maybe even more. So let's keep talking. So I'm Jason Ryder. I'm CTO and co-founder at Ubly. As you mentioned, I'm a chemical engineer by training, but a sustainable bioprocess engineer by choice. I've been developing biotechnology and applying it through biomanufacturing to address the many challenges we face as a human society across climate, food, and health for about 20 years, including the last six at Ubli. my joy and passion in building Ubly is that our sweet proteins touch all three of those, which I'm happy to double click on as we talk. And as you also mentioned, I bring all of those passions as well as the skill set into my classroom at UC Berkeley, where I teach hands-on bioprocess engineering. What
0: does that look like?
1: Yeah. So that's uh, everything about living cells, the bio-based products they make, and how to build processes around them. So that can be anything from sustainable chemicals and materials to replace petroleum-based ones to building more sustainable foodstuffs like replacing animal-based proteins or using sweet proteins to replace sugar, all the way through medicines like vaccines and therapeutics. And so all of that requires uh, living cells, fermentation cell culture, and that's what I teach.
0: Very cool. It's so nerdy and like over my head. And I'm so grateful that there are people in the world like you that actually get it. And you have a passion to help change the world and transform it into one that's more sustainable and healthier for everyone. So tell us your path to Oobly. Tell us like what that story is and the mission behind
1: it. For sure. So there are three big moments, I'd say, for Oobly and Sweet Proteins. It started with my co-founder's grandmother who had cancer and the discovery that sweet proteins can help with taste issues that you experience in chemotherapy. And our second big moment was when I realized that the plants that these sweet proteins come from can't work for their large scale production. And so fermentation, which is my background, could be a solution to that. And third, I'd say we saw a huge opportunity, not just for medical applications, but also for diabetes, obesity, that big problem that touches good Lord, 40% of the US population Mm -hmm. and growing, put it all together. And that makes a platform for sweet proteins and sweet protein powered food products.
0: Can you give me an example of a pre-existing sweet protein? Because I haven't actually really heard of Sweet proteins until like recently, right? And so, what would be a sweet protein that we find before Ubli?
2: I think it's a great question. I'll give you a little framing, then Jason will go deep, okay? Which is, we've known about sweet proteins, academic researchers have known about sweet proteins. For what, Jason, 20 years, 20, 25 years? And there's about a dozen that are known. And they come from plants and berries that grown up along the equator, but you know, all the way from Africa to China, but along the equator, they share common characteristics, which is they grow in really precious ecosystems. The exact kind of ecosystems we don't need to take more plants out of that's point one. But point two, also ones that are resource constrained for those plants are buried. So our hypothesis is, is they needed to figure out a way to be attractive to apes and gorillas to come eat their berries or they die off because that's how they spread their seeds, mm. right? And they needed a more calorically efficient way. And they evolved to produce these one tiny little proteins that we hadn't seen in species before, but they are a protein that actually tricks the taste receptors of only primates. So- apes, gorillas, and monkeys are the only ones this works on. Tell their brain they just got sugar, but they digest like any protein. And this became the aha fine. but we've known about them a long time because until people like Jason came along, we didn't have a way to produce them and they're almost impossible to grow outside of those environments. And so what we're now doing, of course, is bringing the best of kind of how we make wine and beer and fermentation to how we could take this nature, natural solution and proteins and brew it.
1: The very question sort of is a really common one that Allie and I get, which is what are sweet proteins and why have I never heard of them? Mm-hmm. And, uh, Going back to basics, sweet proteins are proteins. They just taste sweet like sugar. And there's more there and I'll I'll get to that. Um, As Ali mentioned, they do come mostly from plants around the equator. But the big difference, unlike sugar and alternative sweeteners, they don't spike your blood sugar and they don't give you gut microbiome issues right the podcast so we'll come back to that but this makes them a revolutionary game changer in healthy sweets. so for your listeners that it's been a while since they took their high school biochemistry course proteins are relatively large biomolecules made up of amino acids So, these are what we call the building blocks of life, right? But you need them. Your cells are half protein, right? On a dry basis. And so, they do everything from structure for your cells to catalyzing metabolic reactions to DNA replication, right? Everything you need to do to be alive. But back to sweet proteins. So, these are a subclass of mostly plant-based proteins that when eaten taste sweet like sugar. So, they're amino acid sequence gives them a structure so that when they find your taste buds, what we call your T1R2 and T1R3, they give you the same sensation as sugar, right? sweetness. We love it. We crave it. We need it, right? There was a time when sugar wasn't recklessly abundant. We had to seek out sweet things with simple sugars like fruits. The summer or tubers in the winter to eat them and from a plant perspective that's pretty tough because they would rather take that sugar and polymerize it into making cellulose right make more green leafy material make more photosynthesis and out compete with other plants because plants unlike us they can't run around they need someone to carry the seeds and that someone for these sweet proteins was us and so this subclass of plants figured out how to make sweet protein which is thousands of times sweeter than sugar on a weight basis to give you a tiny amount of protein instead of a whole bunch of sugar and use all that sugar to make more plant material. So, as Ali mentioned, that was a really dirty trick several thousand years ago when we needed that sugar, but now we eat way too much sugar and we still crave the sweetness. And so what Allie and I are making the sweet proteins via fermentation in a sustainable way so that we can provide them to you as an alternative to get that amazing sweetness that you crave.
2: And I'll give you, I know you asked the question What I'll give you some examples. There's the oobly fruit protein. Can you tell where we got inspired by our name? And our name is actually a fanciful spelling of that. But the oobly fruit, which comes in, it's West Africa. And what we know about sweet protein and oobly fruits, it's called, the scientific name is braising. And there's a couple different types. The first products that you're tasting in our teas are using that protein, that plant's protein. There's also the miracle berries. There's the catamfe fruit. There's what serendipity berries. So those are examples of plants that these come from. And then they have scientific names that identify that protein that has this unique characteristic inside of them. Brazine is the first one that we brought to market.
0: That is really cool. So you mentioned something, Jason, and I want to reiterate. You said that these sweet proteins will not disrupt your microbiome. Is that correct?
1: That's correct. So in, it's it
0: just comes... digested like a protein. Absolutely. Can it help?
3: Is muscle building like a protein? Like, does it work in that way? The right amino acids? Like, it gives you the protein needs. Could it help the protein needs?
2: It could. Inherently, it's the same kind of protein, but on average, 2,000 to 5,000 times sweeter on a weight-weight basis. So when you're going to put it in a food, you're going to put a tiny amount. So you're not going to eat enough of it that it would be a pathway for building muscle. It's the same mechanism, so it
0: technically is doing it too. You're just eating trace amounts. I mean, just make more chocolate bars, and trust me, I'll get enough protein. I'll eat all the chocolate. You won't have to ask me twice.
1: This is a soda, right, Mm -hmm. which has around 73 grams of sugar, which is around 19 sugar cubes That with just a few tens of milligrams of sweet protein. So, So that's speaking to from a volume and weight perspective. Don't need a lot because it's so potent. But that being said, when you make something like a chocolate bar, 50% of the weight of the chocolate bar typically is sugar. And so when you pull all that weight out, you have a great opportunity to either give someone half a candy bar, which no one likes, or replace it with something more healthy, right? Rebuild (laughs) the product with more healthy ingredients. And so we do that with things like fiber, dietary fiber, which is something your body expect and it's good for your microbiome.
0: That's crazy. For those that are listening and are not watching the video, Jason just held up like a jar of sugar cubes that are in a soda bottle and then a teeny tiny, the amount of salt you would put on your meal as far as their sweet protein goes and the amount of that like salt is the same sweetness as a big jar of sugar cubes yeah. that is blowing I, my mind
2: i always think it helps to think everybody can visualize 18 sugar cubes that's what's in typical soda and it's about 0.03 to 0.04 milligrams of what uh, we put in to replace the rest is water to that that much sugar in one soda is equivalent to like
3: three snickers bars Now, 75 grams of sugar, it's like you're drinking three Snickers bars.
2: The reality is, and a lot of people ask, why are you out with sweet teas? Why would you start with a beverage? Like, why are you doing the products you're doing? Because, of course, we can work in any food. Sugar's in 75% of all foods. We can work in any of them. Well, the biggest reason we went out with beverages first is because when you look at the global daily added sugar problem, we're drinking it. That's the one where we're really completely missing the volume issue, right? It's a little easier, I think, for the average Joe to say, I'm not going to have dessert today. What they're not realizing is they've been drinking dessert maybe all day, right? That's what we're going after first. And one of the reasons why we went after sweet tea or just teas as a category is because of this huge trend we see with Boba with young people that is also just a ton of sugar. What we see in this category globally, is it's almost as people are moving more away from soda. It's where we see them settling lots of times for healthy energy, right? Small mm. amount of caffeine on a tea base, it's full of antioxidants. But if you load it all with sugar, you're taking away a lot of those benefits, right? So that's one of the reasons in no way does it represent, it's only representative of what we can do. It doesn't at all mean exhaustively. We can work in any
0: food product. Amazing. So is it expensive to produce this protein? I would tell
2: you that Jason's, you know, very humble when he talks about this. But really what's expensive is that it's 20 years of education of type of talent around to spend the last yeah. to eight years to have figured out how to ferment it. And so there's a lot of time D that was brought forth. When you talk about will it be expensive as an ingredient? One of the things that Jason and I are so excited about is we can compete. Honestly, I don't think either of us would even be interested in this a solution if we thought it was only gonna be affordable to the wealthy. Like this is actually we can ultimately imagine this being a global solution because the way fermentation as a platform works is we can imagine scaling it at costs that will replace and compete with the things that we're using for sugar anyway.
0: Yeah, because you could put this in everything. We could essentially replace all sugar products with this sweetened protein and completely eradicate childhood obesity, completely eradicate metabolic syndrome. This is huge. I don't know if people are really grasping how big this is.
1: I would add to that, you know, expensive as as a subjective term. I happen to look at sugar as very expensive to eat, much in the same way I look at oil as too expensive to burn. And we realize the cost of that through the climate that we experience from burning oil and the health impacts we get from eating sugar. And it goes beyond that. So we have about sixty five million acres planted across the world in sugarcane, and we also plant corn and sugar beets too. And every 1% of sugar reduction, oh, I should mention most of that sugar canes in tropical areas uh, where rainforests used to be. And we need those for the planet to breathe. So one of my passions about doing this, not just the health of bending that global curve on diabetes and obesity, but also to have some choice back. And what we do with those 65 million acres of land, every 1% sugar reduction is 650,000 acres, right? And so that's 650,000 acres we can plant with more nutritious crops to feed the world and we've got issues there or replant those rainforests so that the planet can breathe. So, it's not just that we can make this at parity for sugar, parity with sugar so that we can get to everyone. But it's also what we get back in doing that, right? In terms of our climate. We're passionate about all of the.
0: We are. I will go back. That's truly remarkable. I'm listening to this whole thing and I'm like, this is genius. You're not just looking at people health. You're looking at world health. You're looking at the earth's health, right? And I'm listening to this and I'm just falling more and more in love with you guys and your passion and your purpose. And I am also seeing all the roadblocks that could be coming because big agriculture, you have All these massive companies and corporations that completely benefit off of sick people, right? They benefit off selling cheap food. The fact that we subsidize Like corn syrup, the fact that we subsidize corn, the fact that we subsidize processed food, I think it's going to take the people like you guys and people like us getting behind your guys' mission. It's going to take hundreds, not millions of people to go against all these large corporations that are really the puppet masters and are not just our culture, but our government and the culture of food, right? It's going to take listeners and health conscious people to get behind these things and put our money where our mouth is right I, i'd like to say that like i can't go against big agriculture i can't do it but i can put my money into companies and bleed them out and put money into companies like yours to feed that and to help that grow and to help perpetuate your guys' mission. Because it really is a remarkable mission. And so I just hope that everyone that's listening also feel really, really inspired to get behind a purpose like this to learn more about their sweet proteins. And I'm hoping there is there a plan to get this into more food products? Because you just have the teas right now and you have the chocolates. Tell us what your game plan is, please. (laughs) Like, we need to (laughs) know.
2: (laughs) For sure. We wake up every day to try to bend the global health curve and improve world health, right? Which is also climate. So, and those two us are just related. You can't do one really without the other if you're looking at it over time. Our products today are really just first examples to start to educate consumers about this entirely different pathway of sweets, right? Today, most people think sugar when they think sweets, We all love sweets. We're biologically designed to love them. We don't think anybody should feel bad about that. We think, though, that we're confused about it today. Even everything you just said, I don't actually think farmers, government, anybody woke up to be bad. I think we've lost our way in the relationship between what we make and what's good for our body, even our definition of food. We have now confused consumers enough to think health is zero calorie. Do any of us that are in health think that's true? Uh, None of us do, right? It's about nutrient-dense foods, right? It's all about clean labels and nutrient-dense foods. But that's complicated when you translate that through labels and foods today. So we always come back and say we have this sort of humility that there's consumers are kind of my term. I always say lost in the sauce. There's 50 different forms of sugar. The labels are confusing. When does it have to hit the carbohydrate versus not? But they're all working with a mechanism of action that's similar. And they've lost their way. So an important part of our products and our first wave, we just got our first regulatory approvals on our first proteins. We take the safety and it'd be pretty shameful for us if we didn't really worry that we'd run every type of test to make sure these are great for consumption. So we've taken a pretty high standard that way. And we weren't going to go to market before we had that confidence because it would be hard to be a health solution if we didn't really believe it that was only going to be net positive for everybody. We do believe that now and our first proteins are out. So our products are about beginning to have a conversation with consumers about they should ask more from their proteins. Proteins can also, they don't just build muscle. They can also deliver their sweet. Generally, consumers already trust proteins, and that's a good thing. They don't necessarily know the science as to why. We don't need them to, but we want to give them a pathway off a place they already trust because the reverse is true about most sugars. Generally, they're skeptical of all of them. They don't understand them, and there's reason they should be. The evidence is only mounting on that. The problem is, is that's really hard to get when you're trying to break through a market of having retailers, consumers, regulators all start to have confidence in this. So we think our products are about beginning a conversation and educating. In the same vein, we are working with everybody in the food industry to start rehabilitating their foods. Those are going on behind the scenes. We haven't announced them because we only got regulations early this spring, which means they all have to wait until they're past that gate. And we are talking with some of the biggest food companies in the world. And we're not thinking about that just in the US. I loved your passion at the beginning about our statistics. I'm equally passionate about them in the world. Whether this was the greatest or worst American export or it's just the world sort of trajectory of modern food system, this is as big of an issue throughout Latin America, and they are scared of the ability of it. It's our world's largest population of India has the same statistics Mm -hmm. throughout the world. Even if we take what's good for our bodies out of the equation, none of those countries, even the U.S., can't afford this health crisis. Just fiscally, we can't afford it, right? What we are doing is working it throughout parts of the world and with Large multinationals to start looking at their foods and looking at some of the big categories to at least replace in the order of magnitude 70 to 80% of their sugar, reduce it a lot, and change the equation. And I think that's an important start. You said, hey, we could just solve it all. We actually believe sweet proteins have that potential, but we also think it might be a little alienating for companies if we come out and say everything you do is bad. What we'd like Mm -hmm. them to do is say, Let us help you do it a ton better. I would take the win if we could take most products and simplify their ingredient stack and drop sugar by 75 to 80% as a start. I actually think all the way we'll get there. But there's a couple of differences about sweet proteins and small molecules that are all the sugar and sugar alternatives, which, for instance, I'll give you one example. Because they are large molecules and because they find their way to bind to your taste receptor, as modern consumers, we're really spoiled, right? We have really dialed in our preferences from our brain to our mouth. And sugar is a highly tuned sort of preference. So if you just had sweet proteins in, you might notice a half a second delay on the sweetness. In an average consumer market, a lot of people might say, oh, it's not sweet enough because it might take about a half a second for the sweetness to hit because it mines whereas your small molecules bombard. So there might be an argument, this is where Jason and I think, that we'll always keep about one gram of a plant-based sugar in it because it'll just take the one half second away. You won't have to worry about it. Your brain won't have to adjust because too many foods where I would feel too bad if we had one gram of sugar in.
0: Right. One compared to like 36 grams, that is nothing. What they tell us is like no more than 24 grams of added sugar. One out of 24, like that that to me is a no-brainer. That's nothing. Can you imagine if we replaced all kids' apple juices and all right. the kids drink like chocolate milk from the 36 grams of sugar per carton to one gram of sugar? That to me is a Cute. no-brainer. That's
2: Genre. not the kind of thing that we're in the middle of those conversations. We encourage those kind of partners to come to us. We're looking at them. What our big requirement with them is we don't want to work with ones that don't really want to educate on sweet proteins with us. We want to put it front and center. We want everyone to ask everything about what they're worried about, because we actually think that when you go through all the research behind it, There's nothing you're not going to be excited about learning. Can you speak to that research a little bit more? Like,
3: I know you mentioned it doesn't disrupt the gut microbiome. It doesn't raise blood sugar. Like, what are some of the things you're finding when you take this to the lab? Is there absolutely no concern with a certain amount? Will there potentially be long-term effects? What kind of things, like, are you seeing from a science perspective? Are there any, like, addictive, like, qualities like sugar or anything like that? That's a great question.
2: Can you get addicted to this? Yeah, what in the brain, right? Jason, do you want to talk about step them back and talk about grass first and what we go through on a safety and a toxicology long before we get to some of these questions. Do you want to start there?
1: There's a process by which you go through with the Food and Drug Administration, who are our partners on consumer safety here in the U.S., from which you work with a model system, which happens to be rats, and you provide them with between 100 and 1,000 times the same level of protein that you would human, right, as a model system. And so we've done 90-day, uh, what they call 90-day toxicology studies in rats. And spoiler is, I guess I should say spoiler alert, the rats eat the protein as part of their diet over 90 days. They metabolize it just like any other protein and they were just fine. Uh, The results I would call unremarkable, which is what you're looking for in safety. And that's not very surprising to me as your body and rats in a very similar way are good at metabolizing protein, right? You need it for, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, those 50% of all of the things that your body needs to do. The second big difference, of course, between proteins and all of the other ways in which you get sweetness is that they do hit your taste receptors in your mouth. That's the T1R. 2 and T1R3 taste receptors that I mentioned, but you also have these same taste receptors throughout your gut, right? As um, when sugar was harder to find in our environments several hundred or several thousand years ago, we needed to use our enzymes to break down more complex carbohydrates like starches, right? To release those small molecule or simple sugars so that we could absorb them in our GI tract to sort of monitor that process and to produce insulin, which is uh, responsible for ferrying those sugars into your bloodstream, we have taste receptors in our gut. And the cool thing about these sweet proteins is they unfold, right? They have three-dimensional structure, but once they hit your stomach in that acidic environment, they unfold and they lose all of their functionality. And so they don't trigger insulin response past the stomach. Whereas sugar and other small molecule sweeteners that folks often eat, I'm talking about aspartame, sucralose, close are the artificial ones, as well as stevia and monk fruit, they continue to bombard and give you that insulin response, which is a challenge, right? If we overproduce insulin, we get type 2 diabetes. But there's a third piece too, which is those same small molecules can make it all the way down into your gut microbiome. So your listeners are are probably savvy, but I'll challenge them that they're all walking, talking fermenters, right? We all have microbes in our GI that's called our microbiome, and they're responsible for digestion or breaking down the remainder of the food as it passes through your GI tract. And the cool thing about sweet proteins is they're already digested by the time they get there, they're broken down into peptide chains and eventually amino acids so they can be repurposed. But everything else, the sugar that wasn't absorbed feeds that microbiome. And some of those alternative sweeteners can be metabolized by the gut microbiome as well. And that's where you get intolerability issues, which is a polite way for saying gas from your microbiome. And so we avoid all of that through providing that sweetness with proteins.
2: I will add just a little bit cuz you asked a little bit about studies. So, we work of course with US generally recognized as safe. We choose to take the highest standard of safety testing and we do that for two reasons. One, we're oriented towards, at the end of the day, our goal here is health, not just to make it minimally safe, right? so to make sure it's really health. But two, because the US doesn't necessarily have the highest standards as all parts of the world, and we're actually approaching this from a global perspective. So when we actually do our toxicology, we do it to have a full pack because every protein that we have in every country we operate in has to go through that process. So now we're going through it in multiple countries. So by protein, let alone by combination of proteins, each individual has to have it by country. And we're in the middle of that arc. Having started that, and we have our first three proteins in that process through the US starting to be in other countries, and they're going through the same standards. But again, we don't have to start back over with our studies because we did the maximum studies you could do, and then they all pick them apart, right? And in those, we're always looking at a very big multiple of a reasonable daily consumption, right? So, that's how the guidelines work. But that's kind of the first step, I would say, to the question that I think everybody on this camera all cares about. What about then the clinical studies? What about the health? What do we know? What do we study? And we're in the middle of doing taking our first end products. You, you got to have an end product. You just kind of have a protein because people don't eat the powder, right? And we're doing things like glucose monitoring tests, right? I will tell you, we've seen all the data in the first cycles. And it's, again, still the same story as Jason said, the study of boring results, because it's working exactly like a protein would. And that's kind of what we love that. But we're going to put that out so they can see it. And you can do a comparison. And obviously, we want people to know even though this is keto friendly, it still has carbs because it still has fruits in it. So we want you to know actually how it bears so that you're aware of those results because this is not a zero sugar, right? Even though the sweet proteins are. So we'll put all those studies out. You'll actually start to see them posted in our environment because our first rounds of all of those on our food is coming out this fall, but we've already seen all the data. So we're excited. Like I said, it's super boring. So that's the good news. It's really boring. It's like, it's not That's what you want all. in this world, right? You just want to <laughs> say it's exactly what we thought would do. But there's two other things. There's two other things you raised, which I thought were really great. And one is, so then there's gut microbiome and there's all sorts of studies we could design there. And we felt like we needed more clinical experts around us. So we launched our strategic advisory board. We have a specific scientific advisory board within that. And we just brought on Dr. Chris Damian out of University of Washington, who's one of the most foremost, foremost, I think, most well-known gut microbiome specialists focused on nutrition. He's worked with a lot of different companies in this space. But he's really, really a lovely guy who's got all the passion. He could be on this call and be loving this conversation. So he's joined us about a month ago and is gonna help us think through how will we do that so we can prove the boring results more there on the clinical side, number one, because we wanna show everybody anything they want to look at. We also brought in Dr. Francine Kaufman down from LA, who's a pediatric diabetes specialist and an amazing woman who spent a career focused on, I think, you know, if if you think the problem of, of obesity and diabetes is just generally scary, it's really scary when you look at it in our kids and the number of growing sort of numbers. So she's like at the forefront of that, which I think is where we're seeing the biggest metabolic shifts. And so she's really going to get in and start auditing what we're doing and saying, let's also pursue this study. Let's also we're at the beginning of that. But I think the last question you asked, which is about addiction or mental, we don't have any reason. There's no reason today to see that this is going to be any different because we don't give you more sugar. You're already eating at this level. So we're keeping you at your level and hopefully giving you a much better body response. But I think that is a question that we should all look at. And it's one Jason and I both say, nobody's really got design studies on that yet. And it's one that we think is, will be an interesting topic that we should all look at. You know, what happens if your body doesn't ever say no,
0: (laughs) right? Well, I think so because how you guys are saying, like you're removing a lot of the sugar and now you have a lot of space for nutrient density. And so when you add nutrient density to a food, you stop craving foods, right? It's like when you add fiber, but your brain and your biochemistry. Chemistry is naturally going to turn off that unsatisfied, your need for being <laughs> slated, right? Sugar doesn't switch that off in your brain and your body. Right. Sugar propels it. And, and so, it a lot of bulk in your food. So, if we can break right. that, which
2: I'm with you, that. We think it's another area of boring results in a good way because what we're doing is giving a pathway back to what nutrition is, which is nutrient dense foods. Mm
0: -hmm. Jason, you might know this, or Gina, you might know this, but I'm pretty sure it's fructose that doesn't switch off the hunger hormone. Is that correct? Or is it one of those? It's glucose or fructose. That's why people eat high fructose corn syrup. They can have like a bowl of ice cream and they can go for a second. And it's because that ghrelin hormone hasn't been triggered because you can just pound more and more fructose, right? And so that's the issue that we're seeing in our fast foods because food companies actually know this. And so they're like, yeah, I want them to buy three Snickers bars versus one. Let's pump it with the molecule that stimulates the brain and hyperdrive, but also doesn't make them full. And so what you guys are essentially proposing is like, hey, let's still add the sweetness so they feel like they have that pleasure." center, but let's add nutrient density so that they will start to feel fuller faster. And therefore, like we've hit all three boards, right? No sugar or less sugar, then highly nutritious and satiety. The more I hear you guys talk, the more impressed I am by your mission, because you didn't just come on here to say, hey, buy our teas, buy our chocolate. You're like, this is a global issue that we all need to solve together. And this is our way of doing it. And now let's invite everyone to be on board for this mission too. Right. And so I'm unbelievably impressed. And I'm so glad that I clicked on that email. And I'm so glad there's like some part of my intuition that was like, this seems very Interesting, because the more I hear you guys talk about your mission and this product, the more I am behind it and I want to scream Thanks. it from the rooftops.
3: What's so cool is you have a learning tab on your website that goes, kind of recaps, but also it goes a little bit deeper into some of the science and what we talked about and how it works in the taste bud receptors. And I mean, this is really cool. I'm actually, I'm really excited
2: to try your product. Thank you. We wake up every day to be a sweet protein solution. That is why Jason and I are here we love our products are kind of like our kids, right? We love them all equally, but we also think at the end of the day, food is people have to love it and everybody has different tastes and different food choices and different preferences. And so we're going to win when we're solutioning whatever your food choices are. We want to give you a pathway to do it better. What we don't want to do, we are, I would say, more committed to the science here. We don't want to be anti-sugar or anti-calories or make you feel bad for having the craving. It's biology 101 that you crave sweetness. It's kind of the perfect storm that our food system ended up then optimizing your desire to eat it. The reality is that's kind of a lot of factors led into that, but that's this perfect storm we have today. This is where we think sweet proteins can be a non-guilt-inducing, but a reason to get the joy back, right? We want you to love it. We also want it to be good for you. And we have a crisis that requires a reckoning. We very much consider what's happening around obesity and diabetes a crisis And at the same time, we're very sensitive to finger point to anybody that they're the problem. We actually want to give you a pathway that you love and taste that's game changing for your body. The best way people can help us is read, get educated on it, listen to our videos that we're producing a lot of content. There wasn't a lot of this. Share it. Educate it. And please, by all means, try the products. If you're a tea lover, this is a better tea. Pass the word, right? There's a great reason to try out right now. We're actually giving free trials out right now. If you spend time to listen to Dr. Jason Ryder and 101 about what your body needs, right? So if you do that, you can get a free six pack. Love that people are actually trying it, but that is our mission. You're going to see a lot of products from us with sweet proteins. We want people to be looking, this is kind of our favorite thing, for the sweet protein batch, If you look for the sweet protein badge, it's a way finding for trust that, hey, this is a whole different way.
0: I love that. It's kind of the USDA symbol, right? It's like we want to see the sweet protein symbol right next to the USDA symbol everywhere in the next few years. And you guys, I have, they sent me some of their tea and it is phenomenal. Like it is so good. How can people get a hold of, obviously they can go on your website to find out more information. How do we find where your products are? Do we just order directly to you? Are you guys in stores? learn more and get more and get their hands on your products
2: awesome thank you for asking we're definitely at oobly.com so i.com. it's also got a store load of care we're in about 50 to 60 stores throughout la because we launched in a market this summer was our first ever launch but you can also find us places like amazon because we're in their prime and we know where people want to do their shipping so find us in almost any digital marketplace. You will see us start to roll out in more stores throughout the country, but right now we're very focused on education and having conversations exactly like this to have people, even the most educated in nutrition, Even some of the most interesting scientists I've met had not heard of sweet proteins. So what we want to do is be really respectful, building a pathway to why this is something they can trust and something that they can start to look for. And that's our focus right now. But if people visit the site, there's a great store locator. If you're somebody out there who actually is making products that thinks it should be rehabilitated and you'd like to reduce sugar, you can also look on our site as a partner and put an inquiry in, into one of our business development teams will follow up and see if we can't help you with your product. Because one of the things we're passionate about is rehabilitating your products.
0: That's exactly what I was going to ask next. I was going to be like, if someone listening owns a company with product, how did they get a hold of you guys to add this into their product? So thank you for answering that. Jason and Ali. thank you so much for being with us today. Listeners, thank you for listening. I hope you got as excited about this as I did the more I was listening because there really is an epidemic that needs to be solved. And you guys have come up with such a beautiful solution and such a great Purpose. I'm so impressed. Like, the more you guys opened your mouths, the more I was sold. So, thank you for your passion. I 100% believe that this has taken years and years and years to get here. Lots of like blood, sweat, and tears, Try to approach people to help fund this. I know how that process is. So, thank you for being really passionate about this and finally getting it to market this year, right? So, because right. you guys are brand spanking new. So this is yeah. really phenomenal. I hope this spreads like wildfire. I really okay. do. We're very laughing about it. Thank you, Allie. Thank you, Jason. And listeners, thank you for being here today. And we will catch you guys next week. Thank you for listening to the Gutsy Health Podcast. We hope you enjoyed and learned a lot from this episode. For more updates, follow us on Instagram at Podcast.